Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Tom and Bridget Find Your Inner Badass podcast. Um, we are in episode two, I think. Um, and this time we have turned around the tables. So it's me interviewing Tom today. And uh, Hi, everyone. Some, every, some of you may already know Tom because he has uh, run a show and a podcast for quite a while until I had the honor and joy to join him on this ride. So very exciting to um, interview you today, Tom. I'm excited as well. I just have to apologize to everyone listening that I, I sound horrible. It's because I no longer feel horrible. <laughs> I've been sick for a few days, feeling much better, but sound much worse. So uh, I hope everyone can uh, tolerate that nasally sound. And, and again, I'm... Uh, We're just going to make the best of it because uh, that's what a badass would do, right? Absolutely. You you sound sexy. I think it's, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a bit like this, talking like through your nose. But it's fine this time of the year. I think many of you can relate to Tom today. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uh, respiratory viruses going around here. And, and, and just before we were rolling the recording here, You mentioned too in Switzerland, there's quite a few uh, cases of whatever you want to call it, the common cold or RSV or whatever. Yeah, but uh, whatever virus, I think we are also a bit. You know, maybe it's it's our weakness during COVID. We all wear the masks, and we have not been in touch with many viruses. Yes, that's But maybe that's, that's that's it a bit. Yeah, but. Um, Yeah, now it's about you, Tom. So my favorite subject, not. Yeah. But go ahead. Uh, my favorite subject. <laughs> I, I, I figure it was only fair that the the audience gets to learn about the hosts, you know, before we go into learning more about our, our upcoming guests. And uh, we're very excited about the people coming on the show in the next little bit. So yeah, absolutely. But to get these interviews out of the way and get to the interesting people. <laughs> Well, I mean, <laughs> I learned I learned interesting bits and pieces about you already, and um, yeah, you you have a quite interesting um, life and career, Tom, combining dentistry and uh, dental care, caring for others and their teeth, um, and um, doing coaching on a second track. So do you want to tell us a bit about that uh, interesting combination of being a dentist and a coach? Well, I, as a little kid, I had a uh, awesome dentist who won me over and all I could ever want to do is go back to see him. If I needed a, a, a cavity fixed, I was like, great, I get to see Dr. Hart again. And he was just, you know, an amazing Uh, dentist and uh, mentor at, at a really young age. Like my first visit to the dentist, I was three years old and my parents were like just dreading bringing me there because I was the shyest kid imaginable. Uh, they uh, like weeks before my first appointment, we were in Florida and they were touring the Thomas Edison uh, summer estate and we couldn't be with the tour group because if my parents got too close, I would start crying. So they were like just dreading, you know, uh, bringing me there. But Dr. Hart just uh, charmed me 
And, uh, you know, everything was, was, you know, I was pretty much guaranteed to become a dentist. That was, that was from age three. That was my career, career choice. But, uh, okay, uh, let, me, let me ask you this, Tom. So he, he charmed you, you said. So how did he do that with a three-year-old child? I don't remember. I was three. I just know my parents told me that, you know, he, he, he disarmed me, made me feel safe. And, and uh, I just remember like from age five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, like always happy to go get my teeth checked by him. He was old fashioned. He did the cleanings himself. So, I mean, every six months it was uh, got to see him. And he always, uh, he, I, I think he was uh, like really happy that, there was someone in his practice who wanted to be a dentist and like he, he encouraged that as well. Like talked to me about his time in dental school and, and how he started his practice and stuff like that. So it was, it was really cool, but there was a, a, a second calling in me that uh, came out in my late teenage years about wanting to help people. Not that dentists don't help people, they do, but they do so in a very, you know, isolated section, <laughs> shall, shall we say, of the body. Whereas uh, uh, I was, uh, I was fortunate enough in my my mid mid teens to have uh, an older friend who was a mentor, and uh, he was the mentor to like our, basically our whole circle of, of friends. And later on, I became that mentor to a number of my friends. And I even went to, uh, on the early days of the internet, I was in a uh, online chat room that was like a online mentorship for, for teenagers. And that was just so rewarding for me. At, at that time, I was doing my undergrad at Lake Superior State University. And all my uh, elective classes, that uh, electives are ones we can just like there's certain course things we have to take to get our degree, but you have so many free choices, like outside of your discipline and all, all mine with the exception of like one or two were psychology related classes. So I, I just really took a liking to, you know, how the mind works and helping people reach their potential. And, uh, that, uh, that was, um, supplanted by the demands of dental school to put it very bluntly like that was all encompassing for four years was was just uh all the demands of uh, what the university of toronto put their dental students through um, and while it made me a, a very competent dentist it certainly didn't make me a very happy person Can you can you explain that a bit further? So when you say it didn't make you a very happy person, what, what how did you notice that? How did you realize? What were the signs? What did you decide to do against it or for it? Well, one of the things that uh, that particular school values, among other things is they want to see a bell curve in the grades for any class. And if an instructor has a class that doesn't have a bell curve, they have to appear before the board of regents or whatever they call themselves and explain why there wasn't a, a, a bell curve distribution. 
And the competition for dental school to get in, like if you don't have a 90 plus average, you're, you might as well not waste your money on the application fee. Like it's, it's really, really competitive. There is like thousands of applicants for uh, 60 spots sort of thing. So you can imagine you have a whole bunch of students that are like up here, up, you know, get into dental school and then suddenly they got to be spread out over a bell curve. Mm-hmm. So they create this testing system that essentially is nonsensical. And um, I'm sorry about these beeps. I got to put it in do not disturb mode here. I just love the ironies of life. It's like I could spend all day and not hear a beep. And then as soon as I'm busy doing something, then texts and phones and phone calls and whatever. But anyways, I apologize. I That won't happen again. Um, but they, they created this testing system to spread out these 90 plus average students over a 60 to 90 bell curve. Mm-hmm. And as, as a, you know, high achieving 90 I had like a 3.98 GPA in my undergrad, like, and in my school to get an A, you had to have 93% or better. Like it was very demanding. So, I mean, I, I, I know I can hold, hold, hold myself high with the best of them. And I'm like, you know, failing these multiple choice tests or, or getting sixties on them and seventies on them. And I'm just like, so I go to student services at, uh, at the school And, you know, this is, this is a first sign that I'm getting beat down is like, I actually go for help. Like, that's not me, at least not back then. And the woman goes, hold on one second. She gets up, walks past me, closes her office door and sits Mm -hmm. down behind her desk. And she goes, Tom, I understand why you're here. And I'm going to tell you, this is why I no longer teach at the University of Toronto. And she explained to me this whole bell curve thing. And she goes, in your class, you got a whole bunch of students that are 90% or better, and they got to spread them out or over a bell curve. And they do this through this multiple choice testing system that does not test your, your knowledge or your reasoning ability. It tests your ability to read trick questions, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, blah, 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 pick the best, pick the correct answer and have five options. It's like, blah, blah, blah choose the most correct answer that's already subjective on an objective test that's that's impossible to do Mm -hmm. right right there and they got a b c and then d uh, a and b but a being the better answer and e uh, a and b with b being the better answer and and it's like how, how do you you know you're taking in 40 hours a week of of lecture information then you gotta uh answer you know crap like that so uh, she goes, that, that's why I don't teach her anymore. She goes, nobody fails dentistry. Don't worry about it. Just do the work and show up. I'm like, okay. So I meet with the first year coordinator of uh, the, the, dental, the dental school. And uh, he's uh, a brilliant, gifted man. I don't know if he's still there. He's probably retired by now. But uh, he, he literally like wrote our anatomy textbook. And he can... He knows the human body off by heart, probably better than any physician I've ever met. But anyways, um, I'm sitting down with him and, and going through the same problems. And he goes, how's your clinical skills in the lab? I'm like, great. He goes, 
he goes, you're showing up and taking notes and all I go. Yeah. He goes, don't worry about it. Nobody fails dentistry. I'm like, okay. But yeah, so it was four, uh, four years of uh, academic beatdown and being treated rather poorly, I would say, compared to my other scholastic um, uh, uh, adventures. And even the, uh, the students that came on in second year from American schools that were called uh, transfer students, um, they're like, we wouldn't have come here if we known it was this bad. They would have stayed in the States. Like, like this school is horrible. And uh, uh, I understand through um, more recent graduates that a lot of positive changes have happened at the University of Toronto in the, in the Faculty of Dentistry. So I don't want to like say that's how it is today. So I'm just going to cover cover the bases by saying I understand there's big improvements there now. But back in the day, it was it was just uh, uh, it, it was it was unpleasant. I mean, I had one professor. Uh, come with his alma mater magazine from uh uh i forget which school it was it might have been case western and he goes you see this and i go what he goes this is a list of all the alumni donations to a school that treats students with respect because he he had a lot of disdain for the university of toronto as well mm-hmm. and uh he goes and our, our 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 list is much smaller and i just i said you know i don't disagree with you sir <laughs> that's all i could say really i still needed to graduate but uh, needless to say, I haven't made any alumni donations to uh, University of Toronto. <laughs> but uh, what I, the big realization as to how beaten down I was came when I finished and was able to move back home and start work. And I'm just like, I feel amazing. And I didn't feel amazing for four years. Wow. Yeah. So that that was that's that's kind of the background on that. Wow, that's that's a long time. I mean, you would think you are the most excited person ever in that stage of your life when you start working, finally are allowed to do the work you love, you wanted to do since you were a child. And then you realize, pooh, I'm not feeling like this at all. Well, I, I had promised myself at um, before the end of first year that if I failed any course, I, I was done. I wasn't going to do it. Wow. And luckily that, that did not happen. So, Why is that? Was there any person which uh, managed to, to keep you on track, so to say? Yes, um, One of the mentors at the dental school, Dr. Richard Ehrlich, uh, he practices north of Toronto. Uh, him and I kept in touch. I ended up working for him uh, at his new office as an assistant and also um, troubleshooter. Uh, this is back in the early days of computers, and I, I set up his computer network. I did his website. I, uh, I installed a remote-controlled suction system for his air abrasion unit. Uh, it was it was one of those things where it's like, okay, I need this to work by Monday. Here's my credit card type guy and mm-hmm. uh, bill me. Um, and I made, you know, some nice spending money to uh, uh, enjoy the summer with. And his, his um, there were a few times where my back was against the wall and things that were done that, that really, really upset me at the dental school. 
Uh, one of them was in, in fourth year. We have our individual little operatories, but it's like in a big room, right? So you have all these little mm -hmm. cubicles mm -hmm. and there's like these little glass, frosted glass partition walls. And, you know, I, I do photography. And so I had a couple of my landscapes up. Well, my patients that I saw at the school up, oh, did you take those? Where is that from? Like nice, nice icebreaker things. And the, uh, the dean of the clinic says, you have to take those down. Those are unprofessional. Just about lost my mind wow. when, he, when he said that. What do you think's in my office, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> and people still love them. But I, I called I called Richard up and, and I'm like, Richard, I can't like I can't believe he goes, Tom, he says you have to do it their way. So when you graduate, you can practice dentistry your way. And like when I was assisting for Dr. Dr. Ehrlich in, in his clinic, there were days that I went home and my ribs were sore from laughing so hard. <laughs> wow. <laughs> as to the school you can't joke with your patient you can't like you can talk about the weather and that's it the rest is all clinical blah blah and i'm like if this is dentistry i don't want to do it mm. like and yeah his his advice was instrumental and he actually was um uh i invited him to our graduation ceremony as, mm -hmm. as a thank you for all his guidance and help over the the four years so uh it was uh it was very, very, uh, uh, I wouldn't have made it without his help. So, yeah, that's, that's really, I mean, that tells us a lot about leadership, doesn't it? I mean, yes. bad leadership, good leadership or mentorship, however you want to call it in that case, also self-leadership, how you can take on leadership for yourself. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I'm really grateful that uh, I recognized him as someone that was a positive influence and like followed through with like, we, we were a group of about 12 students and he, and he, when we first met and he was doing his uh, uh, mentoring in one of the clinics and he says, I'm opening up my new practice in a couple of weeks and our grand opening is this day. And like, we're having like hors d'oeuvres and whatever, you're all welcome to come up and, you know, ch check it out. It was me and one other person that went oh. up out of 12. And That's not so much. No, no, that's pretty. And it's only a 50 minute drive. It's not like it was in a, and I said, anyone want to ride? Like, let me know. And one person's like, yeah, I'll come with you. Um, but it was, uh, uh, that, that was my introduction also to the non-clinical side of, of dentistry as far as, yeah, you have customer appreciation events. You, you do things out of the ordinary. You, you do things, to make people feel special. I mean, even working for him that summer, uh, Wednesday was our late day. We'd work 12 till eight. And he's like, okay, uh, it's three o'clock, go to the store, buy some steaks or whatever, and uh, fire up the barbecue in the parking lot and we'll have dinner at six. Mm -hmm. Like he just paid me to cook dinner for everyone in the summer. Um, they, they celebrated my 25th birthday with, with cake, <laughs> you know, like, um, it was, uh, and even things like, um, it's, it's so hot out. The air conditioning isn't even keeping up, go across the street and get ice cream for everybody. Or like, it's the little things that go, go a long way mm -hmm. that people remember. And his staff, myself included would have done anything to help if, you know, there was a tough time at the office or if, if um, you know, like it, it's, there's a difference between forcing people, pulling them. And encouraging them, you know, mm -hmm. 
and mm-hmm. he, he definitely was encouraging. And, you know, uh, I try to have fun at my office. I try to engage my patients in a jovial manner. Uh, my clarity words for social interaction are fun, loving, caring, and helpful. I mean, fun, loving is the first one. It's, it's, if it's mm-hmm. not having, even when, like when we talked about this podcast, if we're not going to have fun doing it, I don't want to do it. Yeah. So. Right. Right. Same here. Yeah. But that's really, I mean, that's, it's, it's, as you say, these little signs of humanity in the end. Yes. You are humans. Good, and it's good, a whole place to buy some ice cream. Yeah. You will be hungry. So let's have a barbecue. It's so easy. Yeah. Um, it's so easy. It costs so little and, it, and it's uh, the benefit is off the chart. You can't even measure it. Yeah. Yeah. And you have a big impact on people because you try to do the same now, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 Tom, how, how did your interest in psychology evolve? Well, uh, always been interested in it. Um, it really started to take off in lakes at Lake Superior State, taking those electives, and even having chats after in during office hours with the the, the, the professors that were teaching the, the subjects. Sometimes mm-hmm. it was to debate a, a test question, or sometimes it was just to learn more about something. And uh, the the most interesting one I took was it was a third year psych course, and I needed actually permission to take it because I wasn't in a psych major. So I had to go get permission to take it. Mm-hmm. It was called personality theory. And the whole premise of the course was you had to provide the professor with uh, a journal of your life thus far, explaining who you are, how you got there sort of thing. And you had to read all the classics like Jung and uh, Freud and uh, Fromm and all that, all their uh classic books and then you had to the whole the whole grade was basically you had to create your own theory of personality and she looked at your journal to see how your theory explained you and that was your grade wow it was amazing i loved it i ate that i ate that up you know and these were night classes for me like i had to go back across to sioux michigan uh Mm -hmm. for 7 p.m to stay till 10 p.m for these these psych classes so it was Mm -hmm. it was definitely uh i i was really debating you know should i take more of a a a psychological sciences route and uh, i didn't and i'm kind of glad i didn't for reasons we might get into later but uh, uh, ultimately that was the the beginning the middle is not a very nice story i'm afraid but uh, i kind of have to share it so people know what's what um well, we are talking about life here. Yes, it is not just the positive and, side. Yeah. But it is part of also how, you know, I found my inner badass. But 2013 was a really bad year. And I'd already been battling signs of depression for, for quite a while. Um, but 2013, uh, I took ill with bron- um, bronchitis slash pneumonia uh, two times. Uh, my mother uh, ended up becoming terminally ill. Uh, I had my first official complaint filed against me, bogus complaint, by the way, filed against me by uh, uh, a patient who stabbed me in the back. And uh, my mother ended up passing away and I ended up having a motorcycle accident. 
So all in all, it was a very, very bad year. And that just really intensified uh, the, the mental illness I, I was fighting. Uh, it got to the point ultimately where I was, I really didn't care if I, I lived anymore. I was ready to end it. And I don't mean, you know, it was in passing that I thought about, you know, maybe I shouldn't live, you know, maybe I shouldn't be here anymore. I was, I was suicidal. I, I was, I had it planned out how to go do it. And there's, um, the only reasons I'm still alive today are because I had people that cared about me that I couldn't let down, including my son, Matthew. Mm -hmm. Um, I just couldn't, couldn't do that to him. Uh, but then a funny thing happened. Uh, every so often I get these little sparks of, of creativity or, or, you know, encouraging thoughts and, I'm like, I'm not if I'm not afraid to die, why have, why have I been so afraid to live? Why am I not out going for those things that I told myself I wanted to go after? And that was a turning point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, it, and it turns out one, one person in my life who um, is unfortunately no longer a part of my life introduced me to Brendan Burchard. Mm -hmm. he goes check out this he goes check out these, this guy's videos i think he's pretty cool and i ate up brendan's content online like like it was written for me specifically or uh spoken for me sp uh, specifically i i bought a couple of his books and the next thing i know i'm at one of his live events and it was at one of his live events where he talked about certified high performance coaching it's his highest level of training and there's like only about at that time there was 800 people worldwide that are trained on how he works with his high-end clients it's this exact mm -hmm. same method and it was expensive and i'm like okay i'm not ready to go there yet but i'm gonna get there five years later i got there and, and was on stage with him shaking his hand and getting my diploma wow certified high performance wow. coaching training what, what happened in those five years uh, that was, that was the fall of 2019 it. when, when that, yeah. that happened. Um, well, what happened was I actually sold my practice. I quit dentistry. I, uh, basically retired and I was focused on healing myself. I also was focused on taking care of my dad who is now in the throes of dementia and, um, I had planned to write a book. Actually, I got it 75% done on the first draft about, about how to handle depression. Um, so there was, you know, projects I was working on. I, I, was, I met uh, through a, a mutual friend. I met a guy in Texas who is a pretty savvy real estate investor. And I, I, I ended up partnering with him for some ventures. Um, so there was a lot on the go that kept me busy, but I was, I was healing by not having all the stresses of, of business, a, a demanding profession and depression all at the same time. Like I was able to just focus more on, on rebuilding me. And I mean, when I sold that business, I took a huge loss, like a six figure loss. Um, it didn't start with a one, um, uh, to do that just, just to get out from under the, the all the weight that was, you know, keeping me down, keeping me sick, preventing me from getting better. 
and uh, I, it was it was a, a it was a uh, a worthwhile journey for sure. I also um, was involved in a dysfunctional romantic relationship that I got out from under towards the end as well, which was uh, very very important for my mental health. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of what happened in the in the, <laughs> in the intervening mm-hmm. years. Um, but that's that's yeah. huge. It sounds to me, you know, coming from your childhood dream of being a dentist, um, having fallen in love with your dentist at the age of three, which I still find very impressive, <laughs> and then you become it's a unusual. dentist. <laughs> and then, yeah, becoming depressive and selling selling your business saying, okay, I just make this cut. I don't want to work in this profession anymore, at least for now. So that's, it's, it sounds huge, you know, like a huge change. So, so what do you think looking back, what happened to your, to your childhood dream? I think for a very long time in my life, I was uh, undiagnosed. Like my shyness was excused a shyness where it was actually a symptom of depression. Um, even as a little, little wee kid, uh, my parents told me that like when the neighborhood kids were over, they'd be, you know, you know, wrestling on the ground, tumbling around and, and, you know, whatever. And I just stand there and watch, like I wouldn't engage. I, I wouldn't, um, you know, be, be as active and engaged as, as the other kids. Uh, I, I think in today's environment, I would have been identified as someone that needed help and probably would have had a very different childhood, hopefully a more positive one. Not that, not that my childhood was horrible. It, it did have um, uh, its own dark stain as far as when I was 12, my dad had a catas- nearly catastrophic car accident that um, made him totally disabled, uh, hospitalized for many months. I was... Uh, It was another case of being abandoned on my end. Uh, my mother had to go to a different city to be with him at, at a, uh, like a large urban uh, a trauma ward hospital. Uh, I was living off of like paper route money, buying grocery, walking to the grocery store, buying whatever I could afford. And this is again, all before the days of the internet, before e-transfer, before like, Yeah. We, we didn't have cell phones, like none of, none of that stuff existed. It had, you know, had it existed, it would have been very different. It's not like we didn't have money. It's just couldn't get at it because my dad's incapacitated. My mom's in a different city and a 12 year old walking into a bank isn't going to get any money out of their parents' account. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, there is also like, uh, why didn't you ask the neighbors? Anyone would have helped. And it's like, we just, We're never raised that way. It was always self-sufficient, right? And I wasn't starving. I wasn't cold. Uh, it's just, it was tough, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, that that definitely adversely affected me losing my dad. He wasn't the same person after the accident with, with neurological damage. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we still managed to have a good relationship, but it wasn't it wasn't what it was before the accident, like not, not even close. So that didn't help matters. Um Uh, it's the, 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 the depression just gradually worsened and kept going un, unnoticed. And, uh, 
I, I think even I was in denial about it. It's, uh, I mean, no one wants to wake up and go, I'm depressed. I mean, yeah. yeah. The era, I, the era I was raised in was, you know, mental illness means, you know, you're, you're crazy. And uh, of course now we're in a much more enlightened era, although the stigma still does exist, but not nearly as, as badly. So mm-hmm. has, has there been a significant event, let's say like a wake up call for you where you said, okay, I understand I have this depression. I have to do something myself. Was, was that a specific moment, a specific day, a specific event in your life? My associate in my, in the practice that I sold, uh, uh, she must've perceived that I was unhappy and asked me, do you want to sell? Like it was out of the blue. She just popped into my little private office and do you have any interest in selling? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. That was it. Uh, I I knew I, at that point I knew I was in trouble, but I I think it was her offer to buy. That's just like, this is my chance. Take Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Someone's watching out for me, you know, uh, that's, that's kind of was the, the beginning of, of the, that was the beginning of the new beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It's interesting, isn't it? That, that we ourselves don't manage very often in these situations to to wake up ourselves that we need another person asking this question i mean it's yeah. one simple question yeah yeah which changes um, everything it, it did it did change uh, everything it it made a huge huge difference um what i what i did do for a short while after uh, she she purchased the practice is I worked for her part-time and I also worked part-time for a, uh, a corporation in uh, Toronto. And, uh, that, uh, that experience was, was the final nail in the coffin that I, I actually like quit. Like I gave, I re- I resigned my license to the RCDS mm-hmm. and the RCDS is the governing body for dentists in, in my province. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that, that's when it was like, okay, I'm, I just need time to get better. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. but that also means you didn't have a, a certain plan for that time you just said okay i give myself the time it needs to recover i i i my plan was to really focus on personal development read everything i, I could about how people got better um even then i didn't have a whole lot of um optimism towards uh professional help i ended up trying professional help at one point and it was pretty much what i thought it was going to be unfortunately um but uh what uh what really ended up making uh the biggest difference lately like i i got my my certification to coach in, in 2019 in the fall And I was all gung-ho to start in 2020. And of course, then the pandemic hit. And foolishly, I just completely backed off. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the biggest mistake I made. That's when I should have been out there really pushing for uh, clients because people are in a state of flux and looking for guidance and help and, and, and stuff. Um, but I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not 
I'm only human. I'm not superhuman. And I, I just reacted as opposed to respond. Uh, but then I found when, when t- 2022 is starting, I'm like, look, you still haven't generated a successful coaching business. You, you've, you've had clients, but you haven't, you know, really generated a revenue stream. And 2022 is the year you're going to go do it. And I ended up working with a, a group recommended by a fellow coach that worked with them. And it was a horrible experience for me. I ended up walking away from that. It just, they're pushing me into doing things I'm not comfortable doing and uh, to get clients. And then uh, a few months go by. And then, of course, uh, you know, Nina DeSamarez, right, from from launch. Mm-hmm. She reaches out and we ended up having a, a couple calls. And she's like, yeah. I wouldn't waste a dime of your money on promoting your, your marketing funnel. She goes, Tom, you have a problem with money. You have a scarcity mindset and you will chase away people that want to pay you. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Whoa. Wow. Uh, (laughs) Didn't see it that way, but I didn't think she was wrong either. Mm -hmm. So I joined her, um, through her, I joined the group that we, we met through launch and uh, launch was definitely better than the other group I, I was in, but I still wasn't, I still was uh, not moving forward. And that's when I learned about the concept of self-sabotage through uh, working with uh, Yannick. And he, he's like, yeah, he goes, you need to read this book and you need to follow through with these exercises to realize how badly you have a fixed mindset, not a growth mindset, how you've been undermining your, your own efforts to grow as a person, grow as a coach. And I was just floored. I was just beside myself with, with the realizations that uh, uh, Yannick and also this book and also working with the other coaches, Greg Long and Ryan Matthew and, uh, I never got, to, I think Adrian left or I didn't get, get to his week or I might've missed it or something. But uh, anyways, um, it, it was, it was, it was obvious that I have a block that hasn't been dealt with. Mm-hmm. And I attended a couple of their full day workshops. And that of course, for me being in the Eastern time zone means waking up at three 30 to be ready for a 4am start, <laughs> but I did it. And, and both times it was, it was just, uh, powerful and uh, got to see uh, Ryan Matthew in action. And like, he definitely made an impression on me. Uh, The the second time um, his second in command, Joel uh, did this fire breathing exercise. Mm -hmm. And I I was participating along with it. And then suddenly I just start breaking down and sobbing incontrollably. And this is live on Zoom with other people being able to see me. And I'm getting uh, text messages, Tom, are you okay? Like, and, and I, I'm just like, and, and during that process, I let go of all the anger and despair of my mother's death, my father's death, my brother's death, all that just, and it's, it's that wasn't the point of the fire breathing exercise. It was just something to energize yourself, but it's also like tears down blocks, right? And that was something mm-hmm. I was blocking. Mm-hmm. And um, ended up uh, doing a Q and A with with Ryan in that that session, 
And he's like, what the hell was that sort of, well, he didn't quite phrase it that way, but what the hell was that? And I explained <laughs> it. Yeah. And he says, you know, you, you could probably benefit from uh, uh, a breakthrough weekend uh, with this uh, thing I call, uh, it's an up and coming thing called profound impact coaching. And uh, we talked about it a bit. And then I had a, a call with uh, someone that he had helped um, and someone who was way worse off than me. And, and like Brian was able to help in like a day. And he goes, okay, well, this is, this is Ryan. I, I talk with Ryan again. He goes, look, this is the best I've got. And he goes, uh, you work one-on-one with me on zoom. You come to my place for a 40 uh, weekend retreat. And then we fo- follow up with some other calls and it's, I, I'm, it's fucking guaranteed to change your life. He says, and I'm like, okay, that's uh, a quite big guarantee. Big, isn't it? That's a big guarantee, especially considering my life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you know, my, my entire life, I never, ever went for the best. And, and, a, and a, there's this uh, orthodontist I know. He might go camping once or twice a year, but he bought an Airstream camper, which is like top of the line. It's, it's like the Mercedes of, of uh, trailer camping trailers. And I said to him, I go, Kent, you might camp like twice a year. I go, why on earth did you buy an Airstream? And he goes to me, Tom, I learned early on in life, if you buy the best, you only cry once. Mm-hmm. And that, that phrase stuck with me for years. And I realized I never bought the best. I never bought someone's best. And I said, you know what? I'm going for it. And I, I luckily, I had some money in savings. And, and I'm just like, okay, uh, how much is it? He, he gave me the price. I'm like, okay, let's do it. And I, I booked uh, plane tickets to Madeira which is his own adventure to get to from Canada. Um, and we did that weekend. And that weekend, I, I kid you not, cured my depression. Really? Yeah. I, I, I left there with all my emotional pain gone. A new person with a new... with. I mean, I'm not perfect. I, I still have stuff to f- work through and iron out whenever. But the old programming that, that led to my depressed... Uh, self-loathing, self-sabotaging life, didn't never wanting to have been born, that bullshit, gone. Oh, that's, that, impressive. that's what changed my life, ultimately. I mean, it, it took a while to be ready for that. There's all sorts of steps to get ready to realize you need that big step. Like, I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been able to do that a year ago. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. definitely not two years ago or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just, you need to go through these trials and tribulations and learn from what it's trying to teach you and build upon those experiences that that's ultimately how, you know, I, I, I found my inner badass essentially. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, well, you have to be ready to change your life and, and it's a big step, yeah. but that's amazing. I mean, if you say, okay, after four days, I was a completely different person. Yeah. I mean, I'm still me. But I'm not that me. We are happy about that. that. You know, like, I mean, I'm still Tom. I still don't like cheese. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I like the wilderness. I like the outdoors. I'm still a bit on the shy side. But I also know that I have to, anything that I'm scared of, I have to embrace and, and conquer. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Uh, the old me would never have been able to say, hey, Bridget, do you want to be on my podcast? Let alone say, hey, do you want to be my co-host? <laughs> right? So that's that's the new me. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, great. 
Great. So if you say you have found your inner badass, more or less, during those four days, mm-hmm. how would you describe it? What What is your inner badass? Ooh, that's a tricky one. Of course. I should have asked you that last yeah. week. Yeah. Um, how would I describe it? Can you describe it? Yeah, I, I, I could, could try. Um, I mean, it is one of those things you just have to experience. Um, what, one of the things that most people are completely clueless about is for better or for worse, between ages of zero, well, maybe more like between three and seven, three and 12, it's those life experiences that essentially create your default programming and you're unaware of it, but those, that's what creates your limiting beliefs, your automatic negative thoughts. Thank you. Um, I'm losing his name right now. The guy who wrote change your brain, change your life. That, that guy, he's a brilliant, uh, doctor. Um, can't remember his name, Ah! Uh, but, uh, Realizing that that those, all those things that essentially create all your reactions in life are formed during that time period when you're just a sponge. You don't have a filter. Whatever happens to you, you think is what life is supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I had I had some good experiences. I had some pretty bad experiences. I had some abusive experiences. And, you know, I was basically, you know, reward, I was basically programmed with a very fixed mindset. Realizing that, breaking through and embracing, I'm, I mean, I'm still co- trying to conquer the fixed mindset. It's not something that easily lets go. But that embracing that growth mindset, I think, would be the best uh, literal descriptor of owning your finding and owning your inner badass is just I can do that someone puts a challenge in front of you if it's of interest to you you're going to say yeah I can do that I can learn how to do that I can I can fix that I can do this yeah I can do that that's your inner badass mm-hmm. not going oh what will people think of me that's old programming mm-hmm. when you're when you're trying to seek the approval of, of others that's old programming. That that is your your three, four, five year old self looking to mom or dad to say, "Good boy, good girl, I'm so proud of you." No, no, that that is not your inner badass. Your inner badass is grabbing life by the horns, and telling that ram where to go. Mm-hmm. That that's how I would describe it. And am I a hundred percent there yet? No, but I'm closer to that than I've ever been in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to keep pursuing that for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so what's the next big step then you do with your inner badass? Well, what, what is your plan for 2023? 2023, I, I actually, I usually sit down between Christmas and New Year's to do that. So I haven't done it quite yet. But what we're doing right now, this, this podcast is, is uh, an important step for me for like, like ultimately my, my mission in life is to help people 
find their true potential and, and grow towards it to make this world a better place. That that's my, my, my purpose. And 2023 through this, through the auspices of this podcast, uh, hopefully attracting more coaching clients, hopefully, uh, doing some, uh, uh, retreats, doing some, uh, live, uh, workshops, uh, these are things I, I want to uh, put together with I, either on my own or, or with uh, other coaches. Uh, I, I definitely want to recreate the Madeira experience at, at my own home for, for people that are willing to take that leap of faith. Right. Um, that's, that's all stuff that has been percolating, but I have to sit down and create my, my 2020, excuse me. I have to create my 2023 battle board to uh, make that happen. So mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds great. So, I'm excited for it. I'm also scared of it, which means I have to go do it. I find anything I'm scared of, if I go do it, it's just that much more exciting when you're done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And uh, one of the hardest things about being your inner badass, being your being like embracing new programming, trying to unleash who you really are, is there's a whole bunch of people in your past that won't understand it, won't accept it, uh, might say like, what the hell are you doing? Uh, you have to just, you know, wish them well on their own path. Some of them will support you. Some will be awesome. It's about, you know, about fricking time. Uh, others, others will be like, no, because you have the courage to follow your dreams while they're still too scared of their own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they want you to stay small with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's hard. Uh, I found the whole personal development journey. Uh, like activating my potential, very isolating because I was I was losing more and more people from my past because they just they just weren't a functional part of it anymore because yeah. they weren't growing or they were growing in a very different direction. Mm-hmm. So that that's that's been the hardest part of of uh, of, of the journey. I think. I mean, yeah, um, beating depression was hard, but uh, seeing your your uh, your circle of support change in ways that uh, you just never saw happening happen. So that, mm-hmm. that's been tough. I don't know if that's, if that's been a finding for you as well or not, but. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's the speed and the direction of development. And what I noticed also is the language. It's a bit like, you know, leaving this, this, old tribe language and creating a new one. Yeah. So a fellow coach, she she said it very nicely recently. She said, you know, it's a bit like I've used the caterpillar language for all of my life. And now suddenly it's the butterfly language (laughs) and not everyone understands it, but I I think it describes it really nicely. Yes, I, I think it does. And, um, I mean, the the only limitation on my future or your future or this podcast future is our imaginations and yeah. living that, owning that, embracing that is is how it's gonna how it's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. So, Tom, if there is one thing, maybe one sentence you want to give to our audience today. At the end of this crazy year, 2022, 
giving some direction for 2023. What 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 is that kind of a life hack? I I know I sent you um, information about this this group before called Yes Theory, and their slogan their motto is seek discomfort. I'm gonna I'm gonna blatantly plagiarize it <laughs> and say. Yeah. If, if you want to reach your potential in life, seek discomfort, go, whatever's uncomfortable, go make it comfortable mm-hmm. and there'll be nothing that can stop you. Yeah. That's great. And you said it before, right? Doing things which are also scaring. Yeah. Um, scaring us a bit are probably the things which make us grow. One of my mentors, Bob Proctor, uh, he's, uh, a, yeah, I think it was this year he passed away, early this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was around Valentine's Day. He's He was the first uh, personal development mentor I came across, and actually it was through an airline <laughs> magazine ad for one of his courses. But uh, he literally said, if someone hits me with the proposal for a new, a new book, a new workshop, a new business, a new whatever. If it doesn't scare me, I don't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, what he achieved. I didn't fully appreciate what he meant by that until this year. And I came across him back in like 2009. That was my first mastermind experience. The personal development journey for me has been a long time coming, but I, I could not have been ready for for Madeira that that experience without you know the stuff I went through because I wouldn't have been ready for it in two thousand nine. I wouldn't have been ready for it in two thousand thirteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I was ready for it this fall, and man, it was a long time coming. Just just like CHPC certification, it was a long time. It was a five year journey to make that happen. I, I needed I needed the time to you know mature and season and and, and get ready for it. So great, Tom. I think we could we could make another episode. <laughs> I could talk for another hour now. Um, but what, what what is your um, advice for people seeking their inner badass? I don't. I didn't ask that. If I did ask that question, I don't quite remember. Uh, being sick for a week will do that to my memory. Uh, but yeah, uh, just just for any new listener, what what is your uh, life hack? One one sentence life hack for finding your inner badass. I think it's um, everything you desire is within you. So just do it. I love Trust that. yourself and just do it. Everything you desire is within you. Just do it. Oh, that's a t-shirt we're going to sell later. <laughs> when, we, when we have an audience. Yes, uh, exactly. exactly. <laughs> but to the audience that we do have, I want to say thank you so much. If you've made it this far into the podcast for uh, learning about uh, your co-host, yours truly, Thomas Dietert. And please make sure you listen to our first episode where we, where I interview Bridget so you can learn about uh, uh, her as the co-host of this podcast. We have a number of exciting guests planned for 2023. Uh, You're not going to want to miss it. 
when we have our email list ready to go, I will be providing links so you can uh, find out uh, who our upcoming guests are and uh, get links to previous episodes, be able to join into any uh, uh, contests or giveaways that we might have in the future. Uh, we don't know where we're going exactly, but we're going to have fun doing it. And we hope you'll have fun following along with us. Bridget, do you have any last words? Well, we will definitely be in our discomfort zone. Oh, yes. We'll yes. watch out for it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you so much, everyone. And we'll see you in the next episode.